Okay, we've been going through the Old Testament, and we're up to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We've seen the Lord work this week in amazing ways. I, uh, I hopefully can tell you the full testimony down the road here. Uh, the Lord uh, was impressing on me to call someone this week, and uh, they've been on my heart for a while. And all of a sudden, I was uh, watching a video from a past, pastor's conference that happened a few years ago. <laughs> And uh, so it's not a fresh conference per se, but as I'm listening to this young guy speak on there, this young pastor, he says, man, if the Holy Spirit's impressing you to do something, do it, and do it now. I'm thinking, okay, I need to call these people. So I just stopped what I was doing and called them. And uh, it turned out it was at a very amazing time. There was things going on in their life that uh, were, were very challenging. And uh, they were saying, wow, it's amazing that you called right now. And it was just the Lord. You know, I, I didn't tell him it was the Lord. He just laid it on my heart. So I encourage you, you know, when the Lord lays something on your heart to uh, somebody or something to say, you need to call him, you need to pray for him, you need to do something, don't hesitate. You know, the enemy will try to work on you and saying, ah, now's not a good time. They're probably busy and give you all these excuses. But don't listen to that. I mean, it's amazing when the Lord has opportunity to work. So I just encourage you, uh, be open to that. All right, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, at this point in time in our passage today, uh, David is the king over all of Israel. Remember, he was king over Judah for about seven years, and then after that, uh, the rest of Israel took him in after some things happened there. So at this point in time, he's king over the entire nation. And as king here in our chapter today, he's going to make a major decision that's going to change the history of Israel forever. He's already conquered and taken control of Jerusalem. He's made that the capital of Israel, and it's referred to now as the city of David. But now he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. That's what his next plan is. And uh, he's going to try to make it its permanent home there. So uh, let's get right into the passage, because it's a very interesting, very interesting passage. We'll be able to pull a lot out of this chapter today, but I'm telling you, there's so much more here we could spend time on. So as we get into 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 1. It says, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, and it tells us the number here, 30,000. So David gathered so many soldiers because of the importance of his mission here. He wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, back in here to the place in Jerusalem. He wanted to make sure that nothing or no one was going to be able to stop him from from making this happen. And he's doing it for the Lord. He's doing it for the people. But he's about to learn a very important lesson as he does this. He's going to learn it the hard way, unfortunately, in in the story here. But, you know, when we learn things the hard way, they sure seem to stick better. I know with me they do. <laughs> you probably noticed that too. We don't like going down that road, but sometimes we need to, and man, they're hard lessons. So David's going to learn, first of all, that it takes more than 30,000 choice men of Israel to accomplish God's will. So you could have 30,000 choice men of Israel supporting you, and you could still not see God's will accomplished. That sounds intriguing already, so so let's go on. Uh, Verse 2, David arose, and he went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God. Look what he says about the ark and the Lord here. Whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. 
So let's think about that for a minute. He says it is the name. This is the most powerful name in the universe. Okay, he's referring to the Lord here. He also says it's the Lord of hosts. If you notice, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the personal name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, who should I say is sending me? So this is a very personal name of the Lord. And he also refers to him as the Lord of hosts. So he's speaking of the God here who is the Lord of the innumerable host of angelic beings in heaven, the magnificent, powerful one, the Lord God Almighty. And he says something interesting here at the last statement. He says, who dwells between the cherubim. This is a specific reference to the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember how that was designed. So this was the place where God was going to dwell among them. So this is a reference to the very presence of God. This is why David was so excited to bring the ark because it was bringing the presence of God close to the very city of David, you know, which is what Jerusalem was called there. David longed for the presence of the Lord and he wanted all of Israel to be blessed by the presence of the Lord in their midst. That was his heart's desire. So this was supposed to be a beautiful thing, but David's gonna make a grave mistake in trying to do this. And it's one that we need to pay very close attention to because it definitely applies to each one of us who want to see God's will accomplished in our life. Let's look at verse 3 as it goes on here. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. That's going to be a problem. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahiel, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. They were trying their best to make this a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing here. They got a brand new cart to put the ark on. They had a stately procession here leading the way. The Lord even tells us the names of these guys who were closest here. They even had an enormous praise band with every instrument that they could find. And they were actually praising God as they went. I mean, that was their heart's desire. So anybody watching this parade at this point would be thoroughly impressed. You know, and they'd probably be thinking, this is so wonderful. What could possibly be wrong with this? Go on to verse 6 here. When they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, and he took hold of it. And here's the reason he did that, for the oxen stumbled. So as they were headed on this cart and they're going along, one of the oxen had a problem, tripped over something, and Uzzah here, one of the sons, realized there's a possibility this ark could fall off of here. So he reaches out with his hand and he grabs the ark. Verse 7, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Wow. So it's interesting that the Lord is dealing with an issue here and he's doing it 
the Lord happens to tell us it was right here at the threshing floor of this, this guy he's mentioned. A threshing floor is a place where they would separate the chaff from the wheat, right? They would take the wheat, the nutritious part of the, the plant that they were going to use for food, and they'd separate the outer shell, the useless part. And lo and behold, the Lord here is going to do that for them. He is going to keep the good thing, and he's going to separate the thing that's useless, that's a problem, that's, that's got a real issue here. So this guy, Uzzah, he appears to be a good guy. You know, He was doing what he thought was the right thing to do. But what he thought was the right thing to do in God's eyes, God called it his error. So what Uzzah thought was right in his own eyes, it was completely wrong in the eyes of the Lord. This should cause us to you know, sit up and to pay attention. You mean that there are things that, that we might see as the right thing to do and it might be completely wrong in the eyes of the Lord? So, so wrong <laughs> that the Lord would become so angry that he would take someone's life because of it. Well, that's sure what we see here. You know, that's why the Lord tells us Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's for our own good. You know, Uzzah leaned on his own understanding here and it got him killed. Now, we may not mess up that bad, but there's always that possibility. You know, we can't say, oh, that would never happen again in my life. I know better. Uzzah thought he knew better too, right? When we trust in our own thinking versus trusting in the Lord, it can get dangerous. And the Lord shows us that picture of that right here. As you think about this, is anybody sensing the fear of the Lord yet in this passage? You know, I hope so. And that's a good thing to have the fear of the Lord. It gives us a good respect for him. So it goes on in verse 8. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, which means outbreak against Uzzah. So David was very upset here, but he's upset with the wrong person. He should be upset with the guy that he sees in the mirror because he's the one that's really responsible for this huge mess. It's not the Lord's fault that any of this happened. The Lord didn't tell David to bring the ark in a new cart. As a matter of fact, the Lord had given very specific instructions through Moses as to how the ark is supposed to be carried. So let's look at some of the violations that occurred that caused the death of Uzzah. And we, we studied these when we went through the uh, passages earlier like Numbers and Exodus. But look at Numbers chapter 4 for a minute. Because the Lord shows us these guys knew better. They, they just absolutely knew better than what they did. Uh, in Numbers chapter 4, if you want to turn back there, I can read that to you. Numbers 4 and verse 15 says, When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, so when they've broken down camp and everything's ready to be transported to the next place, so when everything's been covered as it should be by Aaron and the priests here, his sons, then it says, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them. Okay, so he's got a specific group here within the tribe of uh, the Levites, that's their job now to carry these things that have been covered, but they shall not touch any holy thing, and look what it says, lest they die. 
Okay? These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So there were other Levites who were going to carry different parts of the, the tents and everything else, but the actual things that were inside the, the tabernacle of meeting, it was responsibility of this one particular group of Levites, the Kohathites, one of the families here. They were the ones to carry it, and they were not even allowed to touch it, even though it was irresponsible to transport these things. They had to do it exactly the way the Lord said. So no one is supposed to touch the ark. If they did so, it was in direct violation of God's law, and that person was to die. So that's one thing that happened that was wrong in the story here. Look, up to, uh, look back to Exodus chapter 25. There's more to this too. And the Lord, again, he was very clear in these directions he gave them. In Exodus chapter 25, if you look down to verse 10, it says, they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. And notice what it says here. You shall cast four rings of gold for it. Put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. So the Lord showed them, I'm, the very design I'm giving you here is so it can be carried. Look what it says in verse 15. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. <laughs> so the very design of the ark that the Lord has given them It's just set up. So when you look at it, you see the poles, you see that it needs to be carried. And that's the way the Lord was was very careful to tell them, this is how it's supposed to be done. So there's no possibility that you would have to touch the ark because you could always pick it up by the poles that were always in their place. So you think about this. The spiritual lesson we get from this, we as believers... You know, we have the presence of the Lord in us now. The Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're to carry the word of God to the world with our lives. You know, uh, we don't need new carts to do that. We just need to get back to God's word and use it to bring the presence of the Lord to this world. One more place I want you to see here. Look at Numbers chapter 7. Again, the Lord impresses on this. I just want you to see how clear the Lord made this. So these guys had no excuse for not following what the Lord had had previously given to the entire nation here. Uh, Number seven, down to verse four. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, because people had given them carts to be used in the service of the Lord. Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Morari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. So these are all uh, Levites that were doing the job they were supposed to. They were allowed to use the carts for transporting other parts of the tabernacle. But it goes on to say here in verse 9, but to the sons of Kohath he gave none, no carts given to them. 
because theirs was the service of the holy things, the things that were inside the tabernacle. They were to transport them to the next location. It says, which they carried on their shoulders. So again, how clear does the Lord have to make it? No carts are to be used in transporting the ark. If you want to transport it, it must be carried, and it has to be carried by the right people. Okay, so it was narrowed down by the Lord that not only did it have to be Levites who brought the holy articles, but it was to be a particular group of the Levites, the Kohathites. So by David not obeying the Lord's very clear and specific instructions, look at some of the things that this would cause. Okay, first of all, it would show a lack of reverence for the very word of God. This would be a horrible example for a king to set before God's people if the Lord allowed this without dealing with it, okay? Secondly, it would maybe give the impression that David was being outright rebellious to the Lord. He's wanting to do things his own way rather than submitting to God's way. You know, David may never have intended for it to look that way, but you could see how some people could see, think that as they're looking at this situation. Thinking, wow, what is David doing? Is he really rebelling against the Lord? I mean, we know he left a while back and went to live with the Philistines. So is this stirring up again? You know, you can see how that could happen. And also, do you know who actually carried the Ark of the Covenant on a cart before this event happened? <laughs> if you remember back in 1 Samuel 4, the Philistines had captured the Ark. And they kept it for about seven months. But they had so many things that were bad that happened to them while they had it in their possession, they decided to return it to the land of Israel. And when they returned it, they set it on a new cart and had oxen pull it. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> That's what we see happen right here. So this would imply that David was following the pagan's method of transporting the ark rather than following the Lord's commands. Wow. So look what kind of example this would be setting. That you can do things the way the world does them, and that's good enough. Wow. And after all the time that God took in giving the clear directions to Moses on how God wants things done. So you can see why all these things would, would anger the Lord. I mean, uh, David was basically promoting disobedience to the Lord by his actions here. I know that wasn't his intention, but that's what he was doing. You know, his shabby way of doing things here, that's what he was promoting, just not paying attention to what God says. What do you think our actions tell the world when we don't do things God's way? And what kind of example are we setting for our fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, when we don't do things God's way? You know, this is a lesson we all need to pay attention to. There are a lot of lives at stake based on how we obey or how we disobey the Lord. I mean, look at how far our society has fallen. And would you say the church has upheld the standard of holiness and separation from the world that we should have? You know, have we, have we openly disobeyed the Lord? And have we lived shabby lives that left this example to the world? where they're not really impressed when they see the church or see believers. Sometimes, I know you've heard this, it even rather disgusts them, you know? And they end up mocking Christianity because we haven't obeyed the Lord. We've been oh, disobedient to him. So David had the right goal here. You know, he had the right motives. 
And when they started this worship and everything, I'm sure the people were having a great time. But the Lord wasn't pleased. We might think our worship is great, but we have to ask ourselves, are we pleasing the Lord in our worship? Because it's for him. You know, like we're here, if we let things go wild around here, people running, you know, distracting everybody and everything stuff around here while we're trying to worship, there might be people who say, man, I had a great time of worship today. But again, we've got to ask ourselves, was the Lord pleased with our worship? Did the glory go to him? You know, was all attention given to him or did we distract from that? Yeah, so here, God is stopping David before he thinks that God is okay with doing things the wrong way. As long as you have the right motives and the right goal. God doesn't want David to see this as a pattern for everything else he does as a king from this point forward. So it's out of love that, that the Lord stops David here. He's putting the brakes on, you know, and what a wake-up call for David to see this guy fall over dead when he's trying to do the right thing. Uh, look back in our passage in 2 Samuel cha- uh, chapter 6 and down to verse 9. After David became angry at the Lord, which was the wrong direction to go, and we've been there too, verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Here's fear. And it's a good fear. It's the fear of the Lord because reality set in. I think David started thinking this through. And he may have been asking himself the question, why didn't God just destroy all of us? Because we were all involved in transporting the ark the wrong way. This guy just went one step further and touched the ark. But we're all disobeying the Lord here. He could have said, I'm done with all of you. Boom. So reality set in. The fear of the Lord came to David, and that's a good thing when we realize we don't deserve anything from the Lord. Anything we get is pure grace, right? So verse 10. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And it says here, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Odom-Edom and all his household. So when the Lord started blessing this guy's home because the ark was brought in there, it was a message to David. Okay, that's what this is for. And you'll see the next verse that David's actually told about this. But the message is, there isn't anything wrong with the ark of the Lord. So it must have been, the problem was how you transported it. So he's helping David go through this process of what went wrong. Are we not supposed to have the ark? Does God not want his presence to be among us? Well, we know he does. So there's something else that's wrong, and the Lord's pointing it out to him. And we see something interesting here. By the Lord taking this time to teach David, you can do my will, but you have to do it my way. You can't do it your own way, because your own way is wrong. It's not God-honoring. It's not giving due respect to the Lord. So we see here that God wants to bless people with his presence. He wants that to happen. You know, some people have such a bad view of God. And the truth is, he would love to bless every person with his presence. But they won't let him because they won't come to him the right way through Jesus. And that's sad because he's made a way. He wants to be with them. But they have to come his way. They have to come through Jesus. Go on to verse 12. 
Now it was told King David, saying, Look, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. And look what it says, with gladness. This is really cool. David had the right heart in wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. You know, he wanted the Ark, God's presence, to be the very center of Israel, the very center of the the life of Israel. And he knew that the Lord had put it in him as king to bless the entire nation. Look back to chapter 5 of 2 and verse 12. This is a great, great verse here we have in uh, in 2 Samuel. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 12. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. He knew that was all the work of the Lord. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So David knew he's here because God wanted him here to be a blessing to Israel. David already knew that. So here David saw the Lord bless one household, this this Obed-Edom, okay, But David wanted God's presence to bless the entire nation of Israel. He knew that was God's ultimate purpose. So he wanted to go bring the ark to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. He's back on the right path here. And you know, the Lord blesses our life and our home because we have his presence with us, right? But I hope we don't stop there, just like David. We should desire that the Lord blesses the whole city, that the whole county gets blessed with his presence, that everybody that lives around us should be blessed with the presence of God. God wants to shine his light through us, so don't hold that back, and don't just keep it for yourself. Don't be satisfied with that. David wasn't. He thought, man, God can bless this guy's house like crazy. What can he do for the whole nation? Let's bring his presence here. Man, can you imagine? (laughs) We're blessed, right, as we have the presence of the Lord. We go back home, we are blessed with his presence. What would it be like to have our whole county blessed with the presence of God? Yeah, that's amazing. That's what we get from our passage here. And another thing here, really important lesson, David didn't let a failure cause him to give up. We need to do the same. Never let a failure cause you to give up on what the Lord wants to do. If you're still breathing, then God wasn't trying to destroy you when he disciplined you. He was trying to teach you and me. So a lot of times we take stuff like this, it happens like, oh man, I guess we just need to give up on this. God must not want his ark there, you know? He didn't do that. He said, no, that's that's not right. I know God's presence wants this done. So we need to learn from what went wrong. So verse 13 goes on. So it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, and notice something here, (laughs) <laughs> they did their homework. It says they were carrying the ark. They were bearing it, so they were doing it the right way. After they took six steps, you know, David said, hang on a second, guys. He sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. So this time, David sacrificed to the Lord. You know, before he was appreciating that, I mean, they had that first celebration of, we're bringing the ark, you know, and everything, and everything's all excited and stuff. But at this point, David's like, I don't want to miss any moment of this, I want to sacrifice to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy. So he was extremely grateful for what God was doing and allowing them to bring his presence there. And and that's what these sacrifices show. 
that he was so grateful to the Lord. Verse 14 goes on. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So a couple things were told here. David went to dancing after this, and he was dancing with everything he had. And this is cool to see this with David. That's his passion for the Lord, you know. The Lord tells us to love him with all our strength, our heart, our mind, or so everything, right? Everything. So David's doing that. He has that kind of heart. And the Lord tells us something else interesting, what he was wearing. You know, I thought clothes didn't matter. Well, <laughs> it's got a point here. He's wearing a simple garment of a priest. He has to lend an ephod. It says he set aside his, basically set aside his royal robes is the idea. He didn't want to seem any more important than anybody else. That's what he was doing. He didn't want to say, I'm the king dancing among you. He wanted to say, hey, I'm just a servant of the Lord like you guys. You know, and his heart's desire, I think, was to want to be a priest. He wasn't one, but I think he wanted that. So he's just kind of blending in with the guys that are bringing the ark here. He wasn't trying to stand out. He wasn't saying, look at me. That's not what he was doing. So verse 15, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Look at the simplicity here. (laughs) There's no praise band of multi-instruments this time. There's just the simplicity of praising the Lord and blowing the trumpets in recognition of we're just worshiping the Lord here. Great lessons in this one, you know. Isn't it a blessing to know you don't have to have all of this stuff to try to do things God's way? That's not what God's teaching here. Verse 16 goes on. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, remember this was David's first wife. Remember the trouble he went through to get her back, you know, after she was taken from him by Saul, her dad, and given to another man. So she's back with David, blessing in his life. (laughs) But now things are going to change. So... She's apparently in the city of David and in the place they live and however nice that was. As she saw the ark of the Lord come into the city, she looks through a window and she saw King David. It doesn't say her husband here, her honey, her sweetheart. She saw him. This is the king, David, my husband, the king. She saw him whirling before the Lord, leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She looked down on him because of how he was. We'll see this later when he was worshiping the Lord. You know, she's like, you're the king. You're not supposed to be dressed like this when you're worshiping the Lord. You're supposed to have the royal robes on when you worship the Lord. What's wrong with you? I hope we never look down on someone because of how they are worshiping the Lord. You know, she had some specific issues with King David here, which we're going to see in a minute. Verse 17 So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. These offerings are offerings of commitment and offerings of fellowship. He was so grateful to know the Lord. And you know, when we have our morning devotions at home and our evening devotions with the Lord, We're expressing how grateful we are to know the Lord and have a relationship with him. So I hope you take time to express that to the Lord every single day. Uh, Verse 18 goes on. When David had finished offering burnt offerings, 
And that's the offerings of commitment to the Lord, total dedication. And peace offerings, those are the offerings of, I want to have fellowship with you, Lord. When he had finished doing that, he turned, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. David, it's love God and love people. And that's what it all boils down to. And David did that very well. Right here in one passage, we see him doing this. And I'm learning this more and more, that we're to be giving ourselves to others. You know, we're to be there for them. Just bringing the presence of the Lord with us, when we give ourselves to others, it allows the Lord so many opportunities to bless other people through us. David was one of those vessels who wanted to see God bless people through him. Isn't this something? David is just thrilled that he's got the presence of the Lord here. But he didn't stop and say, that was such a wonderful worship experience. I just love this. I'm going to stay right here. Instead, he turns and he blesses the people. You know, we, we need to wake up, I think, in our, our American culture. Everything's not about us. <laughs> We're given blessings from God to bless other people. David knows that here, and that's what he's doing. Don't keep your blessings that God gives you for you alone. They're to be shared with other people, you know? Verse 19 goes on. Then David distributed all the people among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins, meaning he gave them a dessert as well. So all the people departed, everyone to his own house. David's actions were saying, don't let the celebration stop here of our Lord's coming to be with us. Take the celebration home with you. And he gave him enough food that you don't have to worry about cooking, you don't have to worry about all the tasks you need to do. I'm giving it to you right here, so just take it home and just continue to celebrate the presence of the Lord. And I hope you do that here too. I hope as the Lord blesses you and he speaks to you through his word that you don't let the celebration stop here. I hope you take it home with you. You know, do you need a slab of meat and a loaf of bread and some raisin cakes to to do that? (laughs) Keep the celebration going? We can try to make that happen if that's what it takes, you know, to keep you going for the Lord. But I would hope that it would just the thrill that the Lord spoke to you through his word, that that would be enough. That would be the spiritual food that God gave to you to nourish you all the way home. Verse 20 goes on. Then David returned to bless his household. So David's rejoicing in the Lord. He's blessed all the people. And now he's headed home and he's not going to let the celebration stop here. He wants to bless his family as well as he comes in. He wanted that celebration to continue on in his very own home. So that was his goal. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, I like the Lord keep identifying her as Saul's kid, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants. And here's what she saw as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovering himself. So all kinds of verbal stabs to David's heart. David here, don't get the wrong idea, he wasn't immodest. I know some people get from this that David wasn't fully clothed. That's not the point. He appeared to be a commoner the way he was dressed. He wasn't above anybody. And that's what his wife was upset about. You're the king and you're dressed like this 
You're supposed to be wearing the royal robes. So she was angry. She wanted him to always show that he was the king. Now, where do you think she got that from? She's probably used to seeing her dad who always put on the show. But David, he's real before the Lord. There's no show here. He's just humble before the Lord. And he's not ashamed of that at all. We should never look down on somebody else's way of worship. You know, we're all different. Some of us are more outgoing than others. Some are more quiet. We need to respect each other, especially in this area of worship, because it's so personal, you know. We should also never get so wound up that we distract people from worshiping the Lord, but we should never stifle someone from the worship of the Lord either. I've talked to other pastors who said, you know, they've had people come to their fellowship and said, you know, I really enjoy you know, dancing before the Lord, and I just really get excited in that before the Lord. And uh, he explained to him, you know, that our Calvary Chapel's way is that we try to give all the glory to the Lord. We don't want people to be distracted. So he said, I'm not trying to stifle you from your worship. The, the pastors have said this, that if you like to worship the Lord that way with that kind of exuberance, that's fine. But would you please, uh, would you stand in the back and do that so you can be open to worship the Lord, but don't distract other people. And I thought that was pretty wise, you know. I mean, they're not stifling you, but they're saying, please don't distract anybody else. This time is for the Lord. It's to worship him. And I know in your heart, you don't want to take anybody's focus off of Jesus. This time is for him, you know. Verse 21 goes on. So David said to Michal, Saul's daughter, it wasn't put there this time. The Lord was gracious. It was before the Lord, he said. I was worshiping before the Lord. Who chose me instead of your father in all his house. Ooh, David brings back a truth here that's a bit painful. He said to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. I did this worship for the Lord. Therefore, he said, I will play music before the Lord. And I will even be more undignified than this. And will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in high honor. So he's saying, I didn't do this as a show for anybody. I didn't do this as a show for the young maidens. I didn't do this for the crowds that were of thousands that were around me. I did this solely for the Lord. And you know what he's saying here about these maidens? They're not going to be disgusted with him and look down on him. He said they're going to honor me. You know Why? Because others who had spiritual insight, not like she didn't, you know, because she didn't have that, but others who had spiritual insight, they saw what was going on. They're going to respect David as their king because he loves the Lord. They saw that. They weren't looking at the outward clothing like she was. They're looking at the heart of this guy who loves God, is worshiping God, and has set an amazing example of humbling himself in order to worship the Lord. He said that's what they're seeing and they're gonna respect that. Wow, as believers, don't we want leaders who we know love the Lord? <laughs> Even in our land, right? We pray for that when elections coming around. Lord, please give us someone who fears you, who honors you, who loves you. Yeah, so David knows these people want the same thing. They may not even verbalize it yet, but that's what they want. Verse 23, Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, again the title, had no children, 
to the day of her death. So David apparently did not have marital relations with her after this. And I like the one guy's idea on this. You know, he said that David may not have wanted to have a child with a woman that was as unspiritual as she was. And coming from her family, the family of Saul, the family of the flesh, except for Jonathan, their family didn't have much going for him, right? He didn't want that to be added to the concern of maybe having a very unspiritual child come from her. So I don't know if that's the whole reason, but it would make sense that David's like, wow, she has nothing for the Lord. <laughs> I don't think I want to have her bring a kid in this world and train him up in the same way. So for whatever reason, David decided, having no kids with you. One lesson we learned from her, and this is a really important lesson, a critical spirit to mock others in the way they worship will end you up with a fruitless life like my child. You'll end up lonely and not bearing any fruit for the Lord. You know, with this lady, Michael, as critical as she was of her own husband and stuff, you know, can you imagine why would people want to be around her? Right? Do you like being around critical people? People are always pointing out what you're doing wrong. I don't like that, you know. Yeah, we probably all have people in our life that like to point out stuff we do wrong all the time. (laughs) We're not thrilled to be around them, are we? Like, okay, here we go again. So from our passage today, you don't need 30,000 choice men of Israel to see God's will accomplished. You don't need that. And you don't need a humongous praise band with every kind of instrument, okay? You definitely don't need a new cart and some oxen doing things the world's way. Listen, you just need simple obedience to God's word. And I guarantee you, you will see God's will accomplished in your life. It's that easy. Simple obedience to what God tells us in his word. Not just having the right goal at the end, but doing it his way all the way through. And I guarantee you, you'll see God's work accomplished in your life, his will. Aren't you glad that the Lord made it so simple? And he made it so clear? You know, even writing it all down for us. And then, if that wasn't enough, he gave us his Holy Spirit and put him inside of us to teach us and to guide us. What more could he have done? And after all that, he just calls on us to trust him and to obey him. So simple. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done through your son, Jesus. You've shown us the way, Lord, that we come to you through your son, Jesus, who died for us. He paid for our sins. He made a way for us to come to you. And Lord, you call us today to really examine our ways. Are we doing things the way that we think is best or the way that you tell us is best? Help us, Lord, to simply obey you in every area of our life. Because, Lord, we want to see you work. We want to see your will accomplished in us. Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray today, Lord, you would soften their heart. Please open them, Lord, to you that they might hear your call, your gentle voice calling them and saying, accept my son Jesus, he died for you. And, Lord, I just pray your will be done in that person's life. Father, for those of us who are your children already, we pray you encourage us 
Stir us up, Lord, to take a stand for you in this world, to live apart from the ways of the world, to live a life pleasing to you in every area. Thank you for all you provided and all you've given us. We give you back all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.